Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Have you ever been... um, Have you ever been reading the Scripture and found yourself caught with just a word or two? And you keep going back to it over and over and over and you can't, you can't get past it because there's, there's something so big about it. There's something so magnificent about it that you just, you just kind of want to, if you can kind of make this mental picture, you just kind of want to tread in it, right? You just want to stay there because... Because it's enough. I came upon two words in this passage that have been with me all week long. And I've just, honestly, I've been so excited about this very moment because these two words change everything. In Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 23. And what we have is the actions of Peter and John after they're released by the chief priest and the elders. If you'll remember through this, through this whole chapter, they were called to account for preaching the gospel. There was a man who at a little past 40 years old was healed, and he was able to walk for the first time ever. He was born lame, and he was able to, to walk. And when he started to walk, he started to leap and jump and shout. And the whole city came and said, what, what's going on here? And Peter and John answered the question. They said, this isn't us. This is, this is God. This is something supernatural. What happened was we had nothing to give the man in terms of money or in terms of food. But what we did have, we gave him. We gave him the ability to walk in the name of Jesus. And so when the chief priests and the elders and the religious leaders of the temple heard that Jesus was being preached, they cornered John and Peter and they said, you can't do this. You can't speak in this name. It's offensive. And so we order you to be quiet. And of course, these two men said, you'll have to choose for yourself whether it's right for us to obey you or God. We can't help but to speak about what we've seen and heard. And they were confused, the chief priests and the elders and the spiritual leaders, and they didn't know how to punish these two, but they also knew that the whole city had seen the miracle, and so they released them and said, just go home and don't say anything else. It was the beginning of the persecution that lasts even to this day. The persecution of those who proclaim the name of Jesus. And again, I'm not talking about about things that we like to call persecution. It's not about not getting the word Christmas written on our coffee cup at Starbucks and so we're greatly offended. Now, I get that, but at the end of the day, that's not the kind of persecution these, these guys were dealing with. It's the kind of persecution of a... A friend of mine who uh, sent me a, a text just in the last seven days. He's a, a missionary in Kyrgyzstan. And the text said this. He said one of our young evangelists was in a remote village preaching the gospel. And he was attacked by three men from behind. They hit him in the head. And then they began to beat him unconscious. 
When we finally got to him, he was unconscious, his head had been caved in, and so we took him to the hospital and we're going to see if they can get him well. He spent several days in the hospital and this morning I got a text from him that said, the young evangelist is out of the hospital and I got a picture of his head bandaged. And so my friend Greg asked, what, what are you going to do now? He asked the evangelist, he said, what, what, what are you thinking? How do you feel about this town? And here was the man's answer. We must go back soon. You want to talk about persecution, that's persecution. When's the last time you were hit on the head and knocked unconscious because you were speaking of Jesus? Now look, we, we don't live in a place where that is likely to happen, at least not now. But it's happening all over the world. So these two men, Peter and John, they, they were released from prison. They were released from the, the, uh, the men who were um, um, questioning them and accusing them. And in verse, 23, in, in verse 23, this is what they did. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. I just realized I forgot to share something. Y'all just talk amongst yourself, if you will. It'll just take a moment. I mean, you can talk amongst yourself anyways, right? <laughs> there we go. They came back to their people. Isn't it true that when we're dealing with difficult times, when our heart is, is in a certain place, we don't want to go to Netflix and we don't want to go to work, we don't want to go uh, to school, we want to go with our people. I've seen it time and time again amongst you. When your life is in that place, you want to be with God's people because God's people is where you find hope. God's people is where you find the hands and the feet of Jesus reaching out in a practical way through His body. And as they went to the church, as they went to the people of God, they began by doing what we would have done. They complained about how they were treated. And the Bible says that they went and they called down curses on the men. Oh, wait a minute, that doesn't say that, does it? You know, it's funny how we like to rewrite Scripture to fit who we are, don't we? We like to, that's called proof texting. We want to find Scripture that fits the way we think instead of us molding into what the Word of God says. Here's what the Word of God says about what they did. They went, and when they heard this, uh, they went back to their own people, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Instead of complaining, instead of, 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 oh me, instead of, oh, it's so terrible, they raised their voices together to God. And then we have the two words that have been echoing in my heart all week long. This changes everything. We hear this all the time. This is a game changer. I'm telling you, this is a game changer. They raised their voices to God and they prayed. And here's what they said. Oh, sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Now the word sovereign Lord, or the, 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 the word sovereign Lord actually come from one word in the Greek. And that one word means master of a household, absolute ruler. 
we actually get an English word from it that was derived from a French word that was derived from, an, from the Greek. Now, our word is not as... Uh, it, it is usually spoken pejoratively. It's usually with a negative context, but it means the same thing. It's one who has absolute power. When the church was praying to God, they began their prayer by recognizing who they were speaking to. Sovereign Lord. I want you to, I want you to consider what Sovereign Lord means. They were saying, you who don't ask permission from anyone. You who don't need anyone's opinion. You who do not seek approval from a soul. You who can operate completely and independently from anyone and everything else. To be sovereign means that you are not dependent upon anyone but yourself in God is everything. And so when the disciples were praying, they were acknowledging this wasn't a strange prayer. This actually would have been, would have been something that was, was understood from their Jewish faith, but I think it meant something different. I think it was more real to them because their sovereign Lord had risen from the dead. I think, the, I think the resurrection changed everything from them. And it turned them from, from, from hiding cowards into bold preachers of the gospel. How many people were standing at the cross when Jesus was hung on the cross? Do you remember? Well, you had the women. They weren't afraid. You would have had John... Who else? The rest of them were hiding. They were cowering. Now, I can't be too, too you know, I can't, I, I, I can't be like, oh, I'd have been there too because chances are I'd have been just like Peter, right? Probably you would have too, maybe. But here's the thing. What turned them from hiding into pro proclamation at all cost? It was an understanding of who they served. Oh, Sovereign Lord, as you pray this week, I want this to echo in your heart. I don't ever want you to forget this day. I want you to remember that the God that they served is the same God that we serve, and He is sovereign. He is completely able in all ways to do anything and everything that He wants, and nothing happens without Him seeing it. What they were saying was, O oh, Lord of all lords, O oh, King of all kings, O oh, mighty, great, awesome, amazing, infinite God. And that's who you pray to. At least that's the God of the Bible. So they began by recognizing His, his authority. O oh, sovereign God. And if that weren't enough, they went one step further. We recognize your authority, which is absolute. By the way, the, the word that we have today that came from this Greek word, it's D-E, the Greek is D-E-S-P-O-T-E-S. -E we have the word despot. Again, that's not a nice word. You don't call somebody a despot today. That's, that's more of a... But from the original language... It meant a man who had absolute 
authority completely. They began by talking of his authority, by, by recognizing his authority, and then they recognized his ownership and his power. They said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. They said, you made the heaven, the earth, and the sea. Well, what else is there? And you didn't just make these places, but you also filled them by your own word. I did a little study in this week about how awesome these places are. The heaven, that's the heavenlies, right? Did you know that up until about, I don't know, 2015 or so, the article I read was from 2016, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it just a, a range here. But did you know that they discovered, they being scientists and, and people who study the space, they discovered that they were wrong about how many uh, galaxies there were. They had figured there were X number of galaxies. Then the Hubble telescope allowed scientists to look farther and deeper into the universe. And they said, we were wrong. There are ten times as many galaxies as we thought there were. Now, our galaxy is what? The Milky Way. So our galaxy is a giant candy bar, essentially. But the Milky Way has somewhere between 100 billion and 400 billion stars. Now, I don't, I don't know how many zeros that is. I lost track at 100 billion. But imagine a galaxy, one galaxy of several hundred billion stars and then multiply that by ten times the number of actual galaxies we thought there were in the first place. So it's like quadruple, quadrillion, quadrillion. You have to make up words to, to be able to say how many. Now that's just stars. And you say, why is that important? Because the Bible tells us in the book of Job that God hung every star in their place. How long does it take to do that? I will, I, you ever seen me decorate a Christmas tree? I don't decorate Christmas trees because of the stress. It's called a stressmas tree. Because, I mean, you've got to get the little hooks and you've got to get all the things in. And one day I'm going to be rich and I'm going to build a room that's my Christmas tree room. The only thing that will live in there is a decorated Christmas tree. I'm going to put it on wheels. I'm going to shove it in there, close the door. And when it's Christmas time, we're going to go, hey, let's put up the tree. Okie dokie. It's all done. Crack open the eggnog. Anybody with me? Talk about stressful. And you want to know why it's stressful? Because I'm the guy that has to get up in the hot attic. Now, if we lived up north, it wouldn't be a big deal. But in December, like December 15th when we put up our tree, it is blazing hot. We put it up that late because I always wait that late. You didn't really want to know that, but you, you, you feel me, right? Here's the thing. I, we, we hang those things in their place, right? And it takes, it seems like forever to decorate a Christmas tree. Imagine, imagine decorating the universe, hanging all the stars in their place. And then the Bible also tells us that God commands the sun to rise in the morning and tells the sun to go down to bed every night. Oh, speaking of the sun, when you look at just our galaxy, we have a number of planets and they're all perfectly positioned 
in the universe. They've got them here and here and here and here and here and here. And it just so happens that they orbit all perfectly from the, the, the distance that they need to be from each other. They orbit around the sun. And the earth is tilted on a particular axis so that we don't freeze to death from being too far from the sun and we don't burn up from being too close to the sun. Yeah, that was an explosion that did that. The perfect one, right? And then the earth spins on its axis in such a way that the weather changes and the tides move. And we don't fly off of it. How is that possible? You ever been to the fair? One of those rides you get on, you, you go like this and it starts spinning and it raises you up, right? Why don't we have that? Because God built it perfectly. He built this thing called gravity. You ever been to Alaska? I hear you can see it from... Um, Oh, what's that place called? Antarctica. And you can also see from Scotland, some other places. They have this phenomena called the uh, Northern Lights. How many of you have ever seen it? Can I see your hands? Pretty have you seen it? Did you ever see it? I've been to Alaska, but I, we, we would go out and we would look. We never could see it because it's not all the time. Look up on Google, right? So Google up Northern Lights. Put it on your big screen. Turn the lights out and be mesmerized at the beauty of God. The Bible tells us the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Northern Lights is just one little way he does that. The Northern Lights is purple and blue and it's green. And it's, these, it's this movement. It's almost like colored smoke in the sky. It literally is phenomenal. And that was just the heaven. As the church was praying, they said, Oh, sovereign, absolute Lord, you made the heavens. You made the earth. What a place we live in, guys. Have you been to the beach lately? Have you put your, hand, have you put your feet in the snow? Right next to the crystal clear turquoise blue water? Have you sat and seen the seagulls hovering over the water and they're not moving? They're just kind of like floating there perfectly. And have you, have you seen how as the sun begins to go, the, the, the sun echoes off of the ocean and it shines and it puts this most beautiful sky against this crystal clear water and it's picture worthy. And then the fact that we have clouds. Clouds alone ought to declare, ought to make us go, wow, God is amazing. Because clouds aren't just for beauty. Clouds are for telling us a story. You got cumulus and cumulonimbus and you got stratus and you got all of these other kinds of clouds. And every cloud tells us what's coming next. Did you know that? You know, if you look up, and I can't remember the, I think it's a cumulonimbus, but I, or it's one of those us's. It's an anvil-shaped cloud. You know an anvil, right? And an anvil cloud tells you that there's a thunderstorm moving through. And you know that the pointing of the anvil tells you which direction the storm is moving? If you're a boater and you've been in the Gulf of Mexico, you know how to read clouds. 
they can save your life. But not only is it the heavens and not only is it the earth, by the way, the, the way that the earth is particularly beautiful in so many different ways and in so many different places ought to make us just... You ever been to the swamps in Louisiana? Huh? You ever met a real Cajun? Well, yeah, you're here because the cams are here. But still, have you ever met a real Cajun in the swamps? Hey, the swamps of Louisiana have a particular beauty about them. You got frogs and you got turtles. You got a log with a family of turtles. And as you're going by, they all doop, 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 right? And then you see these eyeballs come up, right? You got fish jumping. But then you go not too far into Texas and you see the 9,000 miles of Texas. You could die walking across Texas very easily. You got the high Texas and you got the low Texas. Then if you keep going out, you got Arizona. Arizona, you got the Grand Canyon. No, is that Arizona? That is Arizona. Okay. And you got Zion just north of that. Zion are these big red rocks. And you've got this one place called the Narrows where these red rocks go straight up like a wall. And the Narrows get narrower and narrower and narrower. And it was cut by a river of water. And you can walk up through it, eventually getting up to here. And the walls you can touch on both sides. And you can look. And as far as you can see, it's just a, a wall of red rocks straight up. You want to talk about Beautiful. God made all those things to declare His own glory. If you go even farther west, you get to California. Before you get to California, before you get to California, if you really want to be adventurous, you can go through this place called Death Valley. If you want to know what hell is like, go to Death Valley. I'm not joking. It is so hot in Death Valley. We put a piece of bologna on the top of our car, and when we came back about five minutes later, it was ready to be a sandwich. It had shriveled all up, left a big old spot on my hood. Not a brilliant idea on my part, but it was kind of cool. <laughs> By the way, a little unknown fact. Well, it's a known fact, but Borax, 20-mule team, came from Death Valley. They had 20 mules carrying the Borax out of Death Valley to be used for all kinds of purposes. You go through Death Valley, and then you get into California, and it becomes green again. And you've got the Sierra Nevada mountains. You've got all of the different redwoods. And you've got uh, 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 Yosemite and all of these things. The beauty of what God made. As the church was praying, they said, Oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heaven, you made the earth, and did a great job at it. And you also made the sea. Here's the thing. They had no idea what they were talking about. They knew God made the sea, but they didn't know what was under the sea. Apparently a giant baseball uh, organization. There were 20 leagues. Thank you. I'll be here all day. <laughs> Dave just got that. <laughs> so here's the thing. They had no idea that when you go under the surface of the water, there's a whole other world. Now some of you are scuba divers and you know what I'm talking about. You go under the surface of the water and you've got, you've got life there 
that doesn't look like anything that we see up here. And, it, and it's all very fluid. You can swim in the middle of a, of a bunch of bait fish. And those bait fish will be, there'll be a thousand of them an inch apart and they will all turn exactly at the same time. And it's just like this, this ballet underwater. And you go, wow, how did God do that? And then if you have an apex predator like a shark come through, that shark will just, just slither his way through the water effortlessly, turning 90 degrees, circling. It's unbelievable. And the Bible says that God made all of that and He filled all of it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. See why I was so excited? Oh, sovereign Lord. What could 2020 give us that is, better, that is, that is bigger than that? A couple hurricanes? A virus? I'm not, I'm not making light of that. What I'm saying is, there is nothing that you and I will deal with on this earth that, oh, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and you created everything in them that that doesn't solve or answer the issue. See, the church knew of the authority of the God they were praying to. They knew of the power of the God they were praying to. And they knew the personality of the God they were praying to. The next verse says this, You spoke. You know, in India, the Hindus have millions of gods. And if you'll go, very soon they're going to start a, a progression of, of worshiping their different gods. It's a very unique experience. We went uh, usually just about the end of September, the 1st of October, and we would see the end of their celebration. And so what they would do is they would create a, a basically a float, like a Mardi Gras float, but it would, be, it would be their God. They would build it, and then they would drive it through the street all day and all night, and they would march behind it and worship their God. And it would be going on all throughout the city. And then they would take their God and they would dump it into the lake. And then all throughout the streets you would see in the medians these, these monuments. There are different gods that they built there. And they would come and they would worship the God on the side of the corner. Here's the thing. Not a single one of those two million gods ever spoke a word. It's totally one way. Not one time did one of those floats or one of those side-lined gods speak to the people who were worshiping. But we have a God who spoke at the creation of the world. Spoke to Adam and Eve and then spoke to Abel and spoke to Cain and then spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then spoke to David and then spoke to the disciples. And even today in 2020, God still speaks. Let me ask you a question. Have you heard God's voice this week? Maybe not the audible voice of God. You know, I, I, you know, I like to wonder if God wouldn't play a joke on me sometime. Like, I, I just, I sometimes wonder if God wouldn't speak to me going... Hey, this is God. 
No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I just, you know, I wonder if... Because when you think about it, he's, he's a God who, who made us in his image and we're built as, as people who laugh and smile, right? I mean, do, do you think God is a God who has a sense of humor? I mean, look at me, right? If he, I mean, come on. I'll show you. The thing is, God speaks to us. When they were praying, they were praying to a God who they knew spoke. And I love this verse in verse 25. It says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. What they were saying was, God, you've been the same yesterday as you are today. You spoke through our father David about what we just endured. It's a God who knows. Here's what David Spoke. This is found in, in Psalm chapter 2. It's recorded here in Acts chapter 4. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. They were, they were echoing the voice of David through the psalm. They were saying, Look, God, You spoke about what we just endured. You said that the nations would rage. You said that there would be conflict. You said that there would be brokenness. You said there would be persecution. Then the very next verse says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed. In other words, these men conspired against your son. And they nailed him to a cross. They crucified him. But see, the disciples knew that they didn't do that on their own. Because the next verse says, They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. This is a powerful verse for 2020 because we feel like sometimes God is not in the midst of it. But I want to promise you, nothing is happening in our gulf that God is not keenly and ultimately and supremely aware of and in control of. You say, well, why, didn't he, why doesn't He just stop it? Well, He could. But then He would have to stop everything, wouldn't He? He would have to literally... Make everybody puppets in order to stop all the things that are going on in the earth. Instead of stopping it, he walks with us through it. Because this world is not our home. He's not perfecting this place. He's perfecting us. And as he perfects us, he's preparing us for the place he's already perfected. You know, I think sometimes God has to remind us that we are aliens and strangers walking through this place. And, and, and I think some of the struggle and some of the, the, the brokenness that we experience is a way of God saying, just hold on to the hope that I've given you. Because right now, you are in a tent, but I've built you a home. And the home that you've been built is not built by human hands. It's built... By eternal hands. The scripture tells us that as they were praying this prayer, they asked God for something in verse 29. But see, they didn't ask for what we would have asked for. See, our prayer, I, I've done this, you've done this, we've all done this, and it's not that it's wrong, it's just that it's a little bit 
maybe short-sighted. They didn't ask God for protection. They didn't ask God for deliverance. They didn't ask God to fix the problem. They didn't ask God to rain down on their enemies. Now, in the Old Testament, they did that a whole lot. In fact, this same prayer is, is, is kind, the same kind of prayer is prayed by Hezekiah when he was uh, being uh, pursued by Sennacherib and, 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 and the king of Assyria. And so th- the prayer is different because Hezekiah was praying for deliverance. The disciples were praying for courage. At the end of this prayer, instead of them asking God to make them comfortable and safe, they asked God to give them boldness and power. And I think this is the word for us today. We often want God to just fix things. But what God wants is for His name to be known. And fixing things doesn't always accomplish that purpose. That's why sometimes good men and women die of a disease and God doesn't heal them. We just buried a a friend this past, well, a couple days ago, named Alan Turner. About 50 years old. They call him Big Alan, Big Al. He was a big dude. Man, he was a giant teddy bear. He died of COVID complications. We say, well, why did, I mean, this man loved the Lord. He was, a, he was a teacher in elementary school. He had two sons and a wife and faithful in church. Why didn't God spare him? I can't answer that, but I can tell you that his life and his death brought great honor and glory to Jesus. And I can tell you the prayer that Alan had, Lord, be glorified in my life. And I can also tell you that looking down, Alan's not saying, boy, I wish I were back there. (laughs) He's probably going, you should see this place. It's everything God said and more. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you feel the hope in what God has done? Their prayer was for boldness. They said, now, Lord, verse 29, consider their threats. In other words, know their threats. Look at them. See that they're happening. Consider them. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I love this because the word servants there is not the word for slave. It's not, for, it's not the word for someone who is a servant by force. It's the word that is a bond servant. A bond servant is one who willingly chooses servanthood. It's one who is free and who chooses to be under the authority of his master. There's an exchange. I will be your servant, and the exchange is you will be my master. And a master provides, and a master protects, and a master cares for, and a master gives shelter, and a master gives food and clothing and everything he needs.
You know, I was thinking about this. And why didn't they ask God for provision? Why didn't they ask God? God, keep us, keep us, uh, keep us um, with food and keep us with shelter because it was, it was coming, and I think they probably saw it, that it was going to get harder, not easier. They didn't ask God for those things. Why? I, I just, I, because, because that's what fathers do. When I was a kid, I didn't have to go to my dad and say, Hey, Dad, are you going to feed me tonight? I'm just curious because I'm going to be hungry. Or, hey, hey, Mom, are you going to keep me safe tonight? Didn't ever have to ask that. Why? Because that's what moms and dads do. Now, I realize that sometimes families are dysfunctional. There's some things messed up, and that's not how it is. But, but the nature of being a mother or a father is that you provide for your children. I think that the disciples knew who their God was, and they didn't have to ask for those things because it was already assumed that that is what God would do. Amen? I'm not saying don't ask, but I'm saying... There's a point at which we don't have to question whether or not God is with us because we know that He is. All we want to do is make sure we're in the right place when, where He wants to use us. So they said to God, You are absolute Lord. We are your bondservant. Enable us to speak your word with great boldness. There's a key here that I don't want you to miss. They didn't say, enable us to speak with boldness. They said specifically, let us speak your word. Your opinion is not going to make any difference in this world, folks. God's word will make a difference. You're not going to change anybody's life, but God's word will change somebody's life. Now, I know God uses, speaks his word through us, but what I'm saying is, I need to say less of I think and more of God says. Amen? Because when I say I think, I could be wrong. I'm probably not, but I could be. <laughs> that was a joke. I mean, for you, it was really freely me. But, but when I say God says, man, I'm standing on a firm foundation that hasn't in any way shaken. So we may speak your word. And then they prayed, stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were praying, God, do something incredible so that people will be forced to turn their face to you. You remember that movie, The Incredibles? One of my favorite uh, scenes in there is... Mr. Incredible is trying to get into his car. He's like this big guy. In a, he's frustrated, to say the least, right? He's, he's got his, his briefcase and his coat and tie, and he's trying to get in this little dinky car, and I think he's getting a little frustrated, and he's trying to beat it and all that kind of stuff. And he looks, and he finds that he's being watched by this little kid on a bike. You remember this scene? And I think somehow or another, it's been a long time since I've seen it, Mr. Incredible looks and says, What are you looking at? And the response was, I want to see something incredible, I guess. It was just, did I get that wrong? Okay, well, in my mind, that's how it went, so don't mess. <laughs> don't watch the movie, okay? Just pretend I'm right, okay? We'll just play along. 
Close enough. But the point is, he was wanting to see some, the disciples wanted to see God's hand move. And I think that's what I want to see. And I hope that's what you want to see. I want you to see, I want us to see God move in a mighty way. Now, be careful. Because mighty way might be considered differently than God considers mighty. I'll tell you what mighty way is for me this past week. I was driving with somebody and I had been trying to share the gospel faithfully and consistently with this person. But you know, you know how sometimes there's not an openness and so you're just waiting for God to, to crack the door? You're trying to be wise but also bold. It's kind of a dance sometimes. We were driving and this person said to me, I'm so thankful for what God's done in my life. Huh? Where'd that come from? And it opened up a door to begin having a gospel conversation. After we had parted our ways, I was, I was like, yes, yes, God's doing something. So that to me is miraculous, right? That's miraculous. That's good. But then sometimes it's a lame man walking. Sometimes it's bigger. I've discovered that my job is not to try to measure the miracle. My job is to be faithful in helping people understand who God is in the midst of the miracle. That's it. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Which is really my prayer for us every Sunday morning. That we would feel the shaking of God. And that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. That's my prayer for us this morning. That we would be shaken. Maybe it's a physical shaking. I don't know. Maybe there's an earthquake. I don't know. Maybe it was just we were shaken in our hearts. We were moved to do something. Again, 2020 will go down in history for our generation as maybe the strangest year on record. But it's nothing compared to God. You have the hope of the gospel. If Jesus could rise from the dead, He can handle a couple hurricanes. He can handle an election. Oh, dear Lord. Maybe the Lord will come back before then. God is good. Amen? Amen. So here's the cool part. You are God's plan. Kevin said it earlier. You are God's plan for grace in this world. You are hope dealers. You are grace dispensers. Do it. Do it. And thank you for sharing me some, with me some stories this week. I got some good stories about what God is doing in you. That's the coolest thing ever as a pastor. I love to hear those stories. Don't ever stop. Will you close your eyes and bow your head as we're going to dismiss here in just a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to respond in some tangible way. Perhaps you're here and you've never placed your faith completely in Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of our works. Maybe you're watching by Facebook and you are feeling this weight of God and you're feeling like you want to know God but you're not exactly sure how. It's really very simple. The Bible says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. If you're without Christ Jesus, He is near to you. And He's reaching out His hand and He's saying to you, I love you. The Bible says that our sin condemns us, but God's sacrifice on the cross offers salvation and forgiveness. And His resurrection guarantees hope and eternity. This morning, if you're wrestling with something else, maybe you're wrestling with how you're going to pay the bills. Maybe you're wrestling with a child that's gone wayward or that's, that you're not sure if they're going to stay on track. Maybe there's a marriage issue. Maybe there's a sin issue. Whatever it is, run to the Father and then simply obey what He says. Father, we give You this time. We ask that You would shake us. God, we ask that You would stretch out Your hand among us. In Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at FBC.